Welcome everybody. My name is Rishali Shaha. I'm a senior research associate at the Council for Strategic and Defense Research, New Delhi. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Don McLean Gill, uh, Manila-based geopolitical analyst, lecturer at the Department of International Studies, De La Salle University. Thank you so much for joining us today, Don. We're very excited to have you. You're listening to Indo-Pacific Voices, a podcast for regional perspectives on a wide range of topics with one mission, to explore the emergent issues facing the Indo-Pacific. Today we will be delving into the ever-evolving developments in South China Sea, a region of great significance, fraught with geopolitical tensions and strategic maneuvering. So Dawn, I think um, I will begin with a question which is uh, honestly reserved for the end, but given the uh, recent developments which is happening in this region and the heightened tensions, tell me, what do you think is armed conflict between China and its neighbors imminent? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me, Rishali. And, uh, you know, this is a great starting point to map out the uh, dynamics of the greater disputed South China Sea uh, in terms of uh, the relationship between China and its Southeast Asian neighbors. Now, as uh, maybe perhaps we could based from the uh, current developments taking shape in the region. Uh, China has been ramping up its uh, assertive maneuvers within the South China Sea, the greater South China Sea, and even in fact within uh, the West Philippine Sea in particular, which is in line with uh, the part of the South China Sea that entails Philippine exclusive economic zone and territorial sea. Um, and of course, what is happening here is that there is a a desire from China to alter, to continue altering the uh, not only the balance of power, but the geography of the disputed South China Sea to its favor. You know, at a time when uh, the U.S.-China power competition continues to exacerbate the with diverging interests of uh, claimant states and all the other extra-regional powers involved, China feels that it is necessary, of course, to step up its assertive and uh, belligerent maneuvers uh, in order to solidify South China Sea into some sort of a sphere of influence where it is able to exercise a de facto extra-regional exclusionary policy. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what is China's and maybe Philippines' stance on this potential for military conflict in the South China Sea? And how do you see them balancing security concerns with diplomatic efforts? When it comes to the the stance, you know, I think it's quite clear. The Philippines, uh, by in, based on international law, based on the 2016 arbitral ruling, uh, based on UNCLOS, uh, has the uh, the resolve to, of course, safeguard what is rightfully, uh, you know, what it considers its sovereignty and sovereign rights within the West Philippine Sea, and these are all based on binding uh, frameworks of international law. And I think there's no question to that. However, the problem here is that China does not accept uh, such uh, such boundaries, you know, because as we can see that the role of international law is often misconstrued by Beijing and as it tries to export its domestic laws uh, into the international realm. So what we're seeing is that China trying to claim uh, nearly the entire South China Sea, regardless of uh, the right of states to have 
uh, their exclusive economic zone. And in fact, it's quite interesting that throughout the negotiations of UNCLOS, uh, China was actually backing uh, developing countries towards the uh, establishment of EEZs. But now you see that there's a selective case where China does not recognize states having EEZs. So th this is that sort of... Uh, you know, uh, this sort of um, inconsistent approach between what China says at the political level and what it does on the ground. Uh, as far as the Philippines is concerned, we are well aware of uh, what is ours, what is our sovereignty, what is our sovereign rights, uh, and we seek to enhance our capabilities to uh, better safeguard our sovereignty and sovereign rights and territorial integrity. But of course, given the role of power and the role of power asymmetry in the region, it is quite difficult, of course, for the Philippines to uh, effectively safeguard and um, protect its sovereignty and sovereign rights at a time when China continues to push further uh, at the expense of Philippine interests. And this is where, of course, as we can see under the current administration of President Marcos Jr., uh, Manila continues to bank on broadening the alliance network with the U.S., uh, narrowing the functional gap of the hub and spokes network, uh, and of course, working with non-traditional like-minded partners like India, you know, in order to create a more equitable level playing field uh, by also utilizing its expanding defense relations, uh, you know, to let China know that it is not alone in this uh, desire to safeguard and to uh, strengthen the established rules-based order. If I can just ask you to maybe elaborate a little bit more for our listeners in terms of what you see is China's approach to sort of building and expanding its naval capabilities in the South China Sea, and how do you see this linking with its broader strategy? Right. I think that's a very important question. Okay. So what China is currently doing is uh, it's trying to alter, all right, it's trying to alter the geopolitical balance of power uh, throughout the Indo-Pacific, particularly uh, in the East and South China Seas, without the overt use of military force. Okay, China is well aware of the limitations of its uh, military power projection capabilities, given, of course, the demographic issues that China continues to face as well. Um, and what is often written on paper is not actually what we could expect uh, you know, on the ground. Uh, and this is, of course, important to note, you know, even despite the fact that since 20, uh, 2008, China has established its far seas operations into the Indian Ocean region, it is still quite limited in its ability to project power, uh, particularly its, uh, its naval force. Uh, and of course, uh, the situation is much more complex, even within uh, the South China Sea and the East China Sea, uh, given, of course, the presence of the United States, uh, the hub and spokes network. You know, China is aware of the costs that it could incur uh, in terms of a direct military confrontation. Uh, but what we're seeing now is that China is trying to, through the use of various salami slicing uh, activities that include, you know, uh, soft power, hard power, sharp power, disinformation, uh, all these elements into its overarching strategy of slowly but surely tilting uh the balance of power to its favor, uh, tilting the status quo narrative to its favor uh, without the overt use of military force. And of course, China is able to exploit, of course, the uh, the gaps and loopholes uh, 
uh, in the uh, defense uh, guarantees that the U.S. has with countries like the Philippines because certain uh, prerequisites that would trigger uh, this uh, this clause. However, China is still able to keep that fine line between triggering it in terms of a military confrontation and, of course, keeping it just highly provocative, just to the point of not triggering any sort of uh, uh, guarantees. And this is what China continues to do. And especially as the Philippines now continues to uh, embark on a strategy of strengthening its ties with like-minded democracies, China is now further testing the waters to see how far it could go without triggering any sort of escalation militarily. So what it's trying to do now is to, to gauge, you know, China is a rational actor. It does not want to uh, engage in a way that would incur, uh, that would allow it to incur significant risks, strategic risks and costs. So it's trying to see how far it could go. All right, how far it could go in uh, in provoking the current status quo in order to further um, tilt, as I mentioned earlier, the narrative and also the geographical balance of power to its favor. You know, the island building also continues. Uh, so it, it's trying to see how far it could go. While we're on the question of sort of U.S. involvement in this region and U.S. Philippines ties, uh, can you tell us a little bit about how sort of like changing U.S. foreign policy and defense commitments, as well as the Philippines' own defense modernization efforts, is influencing Philippines' strategy um, in the South China Sea? Well, you know, thank you again. And, you know, if we look into the Philippine uh, foreign policy decision-making contemporarily uh, towards, uh, you know, China and the entire Indo-Pacific, uh, the, the administration of President Marcos Jr. is uh, engaging in a largely proactive, what I call proactive autonomy, where, you know, we seek to leverage what we have in terms of uh, the alliance, in terms of uh, our like-minded strategic partners, traditional and non-traditional, to better safeguard our sovereignty and sovereign rights, along with overtly upholding uh, instruments of international law that would definitely complement our interests in securing our sovereignty and sovereign rights. And this is in stark contrast with what we had in the past few years during the previous administration, where there was that level of um, you know, significant level of accommodation despite the atrocities being committed against our national interests. And I think that the Marcus Jr. administration continues to learn uh, from the, uh, from the uh, you know, the mistakes that were occurred and the loopholes that, have, uh, that we have uh, witnessed uh, in the past administration. And it is now trying to effectively rectify them uh, by being more responsive to uh, the threats that continue to erupt. So, you know, since the beginning of the administration, the ball was already passed to China's court. You know, the Manila stated that uh, we, are, we are willing to work with China and to improve relations with China. But again, uh, despite the uh, summit between uh, President Marcos Jr. and President Xi Jinping in January, early this year. Beijing has illustrated time and time and again that despite the fact that it is saying that we want to maintain good relations, uh, it is still unable to, to mend its assertiveness and it's unwilling to act like a better neighbor. So Manila has uh, realized this and is now not taking any chances of further accommodation. And while the diplomatic channels remain open, you know, Manila believes that it's only through negotiations that 
you know, we are able to have lasting peace with China. But it's, of course, it's more important to create that level playing field in order to facilitate more equitable uh, negotiations. And that's what we're trying to do now, you know, creating that level playing field, um, applying more costs to China, make China feel that it can't have a free run similar to what it had been doing in the past few years. So the Philippines is now documenting Chinese atrocities by allowing uh, journalists on board the Philippine Coast Guard vessels. Um, and of course, uh, uh, enhancing uh, intelligence and information sharing with both traditional and non-traditional partners, a great way to address uh, gray zone activities, which are often conducted by China uh, when a country is in isolation. Of course, having as much vital information from trusted partners is crucial in this regard. So this is what we're trying to do. This is something that should be taken into consideration that we are not banking on the alliance and the uh, you know strengthening of uh, strategic relations as an end but rather a means to an end so the philippines is trying to avoid being labeled as part of engaging in block politics um, and i think president marcus jr has highlighted that when he said uh, during the asean summit that you know we have our own agency uh, we we are not highly dependent on the structural forces and they do not completely uh, de- define who we are and what we are and what our interests are. So there is that realization that we are using this as a means to an end, and the end is uh, the security of our uh, sovereignty and sovereign rights. Thank you so much, Don. That is extremely comprehensive yet compact. That does seem like a good note to end this podcast. Thank you so much. It was extremely informative, and we absolutely enjoyed having you. We look forward to hosting you again.